I learned a lot about polo that I did not know. And, you know, having been on the front line of the Chicago scene over the past 15, 18 years or whatever, um, you know, I've, I've watched the rise of people like Lupe Fiasco and the cool kids to Chief Keef and Chance the Rapper and a lot of different artists. And I've, I've known all of them personally. Never met Polo G. This was like the most that I've learned about him in this episode. I didn't realize like how deep it went. Oh Lord, Jesse made another one. Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm your host, Brandon Jinx Jenkins, and welcome back to another episode of the Rap Caviar Podcast, which you can watch exclusively on Spotify. This week, we're talking about Rap Caviar's brand new docuseries, which you can watch on Hulu right now. This series features all your favorite artists. We're talking about Tyler, the Creator, Coyle Ray, City Girls, Polo G, Pharrell, and, and many, many others. I've seen every episode, and trust me, it is a must-watch. Here to talk about the creation of the series and some of the themes that are in it, we have our very own Carl Cherry, head of Urban at Spotify, cultural critic and commentator Jamila Lemieux, and founder of Fake Shore Drive and hip-hop historian Andrew Barber. Well, Carl, you know, we've been talking about this docuseries for, I mean, I think you've been talking to me about it for, I want to say, like a year now. Um, it's been a minute. When we first started the Rap Caviar podcast, you were telling me that you were working on this docuseries. I don't have, I don't have a clue how long you've actually been working on it. So can you sort of like, like bring me up to like, bring me up to speed on the starting point of this, what the initial goal was, um, and then sort of like the process of like the first ever Rap Caviar docuseries. Yeah. Well, the, the initial goal was, you know, when you look at streaming, when you look at playlisting, um, when you look at that medium, there's no context. I mean, all you guys know as journalists, like when you used to look at the blog era, there was clear context. Like people were, expl- were able to explain their choices, right? With, why, why they're posting something. Same goes for a, a magazine article, whether it's in a magazine or a website or a radio, right? Or, uh, um, you know, whether it's Flex or whoever, like they're able to give you context into the music and, and the culture. And um, same goes for like TV shows like 106 or Rap City. But the one thing that was clear with streaming is that we don't have that ability. You look at a playlist and it's static. It's like a list of songs and that's it. So yeah. Um, so for me, part of the goal for Rap Caviar was to create extensions of the editorial voice. And the first step was social media. Second step was the docu-series. And then the third step was the podcast. So the idea started in 2018, me and Jesse Burton. Damn. Right? Okay. Um, so the show got picked up as a pilot in 2019, but then the pandemic happened. Everything slowed down. So we started shooting the pilot in July of 2020, but we didn't submit it until the top of 2021 and the series got greenlit at the end of 2021. So the the actual work that went into the series, it spans two and a half years. Um, yeah, shit. But most of the material you're watching, we really started shooting over the past year. So like some of the pieces that you're seeing in a City Girls episode are from the pilot that we shot in 2020. I guess it's like people may not know what to expect with this docuseries. This show has like a lot of like... um. I don't want to call it cultural weight, but like just throughout the episodes, you guys are dealing with like social topics that both intersect hip hop and the culture at large. Like, why is that the direction you could go in when you can tell any rap story? You know, these could have just been like really long rap interviews or so it could have been like stories about like rap regions or rap generations. You know, there's a thousand ways to to cut this pie. I mean, I think it's missing. Like, I feel like 
I mean, I left journalism for a reason. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's all clickbait now. And I feel like because Rap Caviar is the brand that we're creating extensions for, we have the luxury of like taking chances. Like there's no, uh, it's not like a magazine that has to worry about their circulation, right? Or uh, a website that has to worry about their traffic. So I want to intellectualize hip hop. I want to find ways to have smart conversations and like shine light on how brilliant um, the people who are part of the culture are and mm. when we were shaping this stuff up um you know we're talking about the record store and all that stuff like tyler the creator first episode we're talking about rap archetypes like who's having like who's we've had those conversations as rap nerds but to weave yeah. that into an actual story to me that was exciting it's like okay we're giving you a clear narrative but there's like all these this like rap dna sprinkled into it and um and I remember we were going back and forth when we were shaping episodes. The person, uh, uh, this woman, Toby, from the uh, production company called me. And she was saying, so I keep, getting a, I keep getting pushed for us to make provocative stories. And I want to know, for you, what's more important? And I was like, I want to tell smart stories. And if, if they so happen to be provocative, cool. But I don't want to chase controversy. I think for us, you know, we've all cut our teeth in media at different points. Um, whether it's like running a blog, working for a proper publication, across different, you know, the television, uh, print. Um, I'm from like the last, like, I caught like, I think my first credit was like a, the last issue Mass Appeal was ever going to print. And then it was like, all right, you're all digital from here on out. <laughs> and then you're fighting to make sure like your byline is actually on the article and someone doesn't delete it. But um, for Jamil and Andrew, I'm curious, what does the docuseries do in the media sort of ecosystem that um, one that maybe we're missing and that other forms of current rap or music media can't do? Well, I think, you know, as Carl said, these elevated conversations about hip hop have been taking place amongst rap nerds. You know, during the blog era, there were online dialogues where people really went in and really, you know, explored what the music was about, what the artists were about. But you know, now that everything in traditional journalism has become clickbaity, there really isn't a lot of, there aren't many platforms where you can have meaningful conversations about hip hop in front of the world. You know, um, I think that even social media has on some level lost its ability to be a hub for those sorts of dialogues, you know, like on the most way- most levels. <laughs> right? You know, Definitely. 10, 15 years ago, you could have a great Twitter debate about hip hop and have a lot of different voices, you know, including some of the artists represented. It just doesn't work that way anymore. So I think that this, um, this docuseries really platforms the sort of dialogues that we need to have, you know, and and- the culture doesn't need legitimization. It is legit, you know, but I think that serious study, serious inquiry, serious consideration is important to how a society engages with the culture. You know, how seriously hip hop yeah. is taken, how it's respected. Even when you just said 10 years ago on Twitter, it's like, I didn't know we were spoiled. Like, I didn't know that Who knew? that was going to stop. I didn't know that, like, being able to talk to complete strangers who would become my contemporaries and, like, I would work with and, like... It, you can get tricked into thinking like every idea you have is yours until I realize like how much I eat off the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. when all y'all stopped being on Twitter or it started getting filled with junk, they're like, Jinx, come up with your own ideas. And I'm like, oh shit, like I kind of need y'all, you know? But um, I didn't know we were so spoiled. Yeah, well, I mean, I think this, this uh, docuseries does a great job of kind of 
like, as Carl said, he doesn't want to chase clickbait. And I, I feel the same way. And it's like, a lot of times you can feel like maybe things that you're doing aren't super successful because it does seem like the BS or the controversies, the stuff that um, gets the most clicks and gets the most attention. People love drama. People love controversy, right? So I think there has to be a, a happy medium there where, um, you know, rap nerds can get their fix. But also these aren't like puff pieces. And that's what I enjoyed about the docuseries as well was like, these aren't, you know, softball questions. Like you're really bringing um, some serious dialogue here between artists and what it feels like to be on social media and the challenges of, you know, everybody has a story to tell. Right. And I think it does a good job of, of doing that, but not like just making it like, Oh, this is beautiful. This is, you know, this is a glorified type of story. Like it, it really gets down to the, uh, the nitty gritty. You know, Jamil, you made a comment about like, um, treating hip hop with care, maybe not necessarily legitimizing hip hop, but like, you know, um, giving it all the pieces to make it something that, especially outsiders that are approaching the culture, um, giving it context and in some ways protecting it. Right. Uh, but why is hip hop so prime for discussions? Like the ones that you all were having in the episodes or for a docuseries like this. And I say that in comparison to something like, um, maybe pop music, right? Or or even country, which has its own levels of depth and layers to it. But like hip hop, some of the subject matter you all spoke about feels like it's only hip hop. Well, I think um, more than any other genre of music, hip hop has taken the stance that it's talking about reality, right? Like the idea of, you know, legitimate hip hop, what we think of as the definitive hip hop music is oftentimes rooted in people talking about their real experiences. And many of these real experiences are difficult, right? You talk about the mm. sort of violence that takes place in the city of Chicago um, and somebody like Polo G coming from, you know, a background where he was exposed to it and his music reflecting that. Country music doesn't claim to tell, you know, the entire story of the plight of the Southern white male. And even though there are some stories about what it's like to be poor, to be in love, you know, to struggle, um, it's not social commentary. You know, I don't think any other genre of music has branded itself as social commentary. And so if rap music is talking to us about who we are, where Black people are, where young people are, uh, we need to be able to talk back to rap music, you know, about how it's reflecting mm. us, about how it's making us feel and how it's influencing people. Carl, for you, um, it's like you could have, I'm thinking about the range of topics and you kind of like run us through them really quickly of like sort of like here are the beats that we chose. And I'm curious for you, like, was there any one of these topics that you were like, I don't know, like, is this, is this maybe not the place to have that discussion? And then like, how'd you go about like, you know, um, threading that needle? It was a combination of thinking of artists we wanted to work with. So for Tyler, for example, right? It's me and Carm having dinner and him saying the first episode should be about Tyler. And then we start having a conversation about, okay, what's the story? And that's when I go into a story that, you know, a personal story about my interactions with Tyler and some of the stuff that he cared about. And then um, what was interesting about that story, it started out pretty surface, like... <laughs> respectfully, like all due respect to Karm, but he's like, yo, we should do something about Tyler. He's different. You know, he paints his nails. And I'm like, there's a lot more to okay. it. Like, right. And then we get into it. Right. And, and and I explained to him that I had a whole conversation with him during the meeting where he was actually shitting on rap caviar, where he said, it's important for kids to know that they can be weird like me, uh, 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 uh paint their nails and still drive half a million dollar cars. And 
I used those words when I was pitching the story to Tyler. So we had a piece of the story, but as we kept interviewing people, we uncovered other things. So Vince Staples, during his interview, you know, basically explained how, like, well, the reason why there's a rap archetype is because black men have been marketed a certain way throughout history. So literally after the interview, I go to Carm's like, you need to center everything around what Vince told you now. It's a completely mm. different story. Um, the City Girls story was interesting because it was a combination of stuff that we shot in the pilot and then new interviews that we captured. Um, I really have to give credit to Clover and uh, also uh, Toby, a, a producer that was working with us during uh, uh, the the pilot because obviously if we're going to tell uh, a story around women in hip-hop can't be a male leading the charge and give you context about it. Fact. Um, we knew that because the landscape in 2019, even when we were pitching it, like the, the female rap movement was growing. So it was like, we have to, we have to touch it. Like we, we have to discuss how it's changed, contextualize like the context, like what it was back then versus now. Um, and then, you know, criminalization of hip hop was a topic that felt like we needed to address because as we were pitching stories, we would see we would see these um, articles, right? Like uh, th- about the rap act or like YSL literally happened as we were coming up with stories. And, you know, Jay-Z and Meek Mill banding together to like, you know, um, create resources. So it, it was a combination of things. Like we we didn't go into some of them were topic led and then others were artist led. So much of this is about like um, identity and visibility across all the episodes. Like it feels like whether it's like a improper perception of these people or these artists, or if it's about not, you know, not being seen at all. Um, looking at one of the topics here, it's like, that seems to float throughout is like, even just the idea of like toxic masculinity, right? You brought that up in like what appears to be in like the Tyler Vin Staples issue uh, episode, like, Crafting a story like that, do you feel like, like, what is the value of, of telling that story, right? It's Tyler's story, but what is the value of telling that story at large to an audience, especially a younger audience that consumes the Rap Caviar playlist? Um, when we showed Tyler the episode, he, um, he <laughs> I'm trying to not put him out there, but he, um, he got emotional <laughs> he went this far <laughs> about a particular well, part know? of the story, right? Because, again, right, he said it's important for kids to know they can be weird like me and towards the end mm-hmm. of the episode you have all these kids who are saying well tyler gave me the confidence to do this tyler gave me the confidence to do that so i think it's a, it that's why he that's why he agreed to the episode in the first place he was like this is important like we need mm. more spaces to be able to speak to kids like him one of the interesting things that vince said and i agree with him is like i mean Look at the biggest rappers. None of them represent the traditional rap archetype. Drake, Kanye, you can argue Kendrick doesn't. Like, it's kind of mm. dead. But that archetype is still very much the image we have in our minds when we think about a rapper. Yeah, for sure. So why aren't there more conversations about the Tylers of the world and, like, you know, how we've evolved and how, like, you don't have to look or think or rap about certain things to be a rapper? Mm. Right. And like Tyler, Tyler's doing arenas. So he's in that space with 
the Kendricks and the Coles and the Drakes and the Kanye's and those people that there's not a lot of artists that can do arenas, you know, Tyler sold out the United center in Chicago. Um, so yeah, he's on a, he's on a completely different level now. And I think there's a lot more people that look up to him than maybe some of those other archetypes that might be burnt in your brain. Why does it take the audience or maybe I don't even just say the audience. Why does it take everyone else around so long to catch up to this idea? Because Tyler's not the first. I mean, you just named like a, a slew of successful artists. You have the Pharrells, which, you know, lead before him. You had, um, you know, in the, the episode you mentioned Q-Tip as well. But if you even just think of like a commercial standpoint, you have the Pharrells and the Kanye's as these massive figures that really sort of like, you know, open the door for the Tyler types. What is it about that that like, like that's success, right? Like that's visible, why is it taking everyone else so long to catch up to them? Yo, people are still very much comfortable with a specific idea of black men. Yep. Mm. Look at me. I can't be a rapper. You need the jinx. <laughs> like, it's just like, we're like, it's too normal, right? Like, um, I mean, we were way younger, but if, 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 if you're familiar with the research, like when the Cosby show first aired, they looked at it like it wasn't possible. Like, what do you mean? Like a upper class family? Like the, he's mm. a doctor? Like that's impossible. Like they, people very much still have a very narrow idea of what black men are supposed to look like, think like, talk like. I agree. You know, I think, um, your average rapper might skew closer to the archetype than, say, Tyler or Pharrell or Kanye. But the biggest names in the game at this point, right? Like, who's bigger than those guys, you know? Mm -hmm. But instead, we'd rather talk about them like they're special snowflakes. You know, they're unique. They're different. This, you know, this doesn't happen every day. Most guys don't act like this. But I yeah. think that there are a lot, you know, I think all those guys are more every day, more pedestrian than you would imagine, you know, like there have been black weirdos, you know, like there have yeah. been black guys that were not hyper masculine who weren't involved in, you know, gang culture in our communities since day one. Um, but we do tend to treat them as if they're very precious and special as opposed to, you know, reflective of the diversity of black male culture. Vince framed it as marketing, right? So kind of putting blame on like corporate America. It's us too, right? It's not just, right? Like Tyler talks about being called a weirdo. It wasn't like a, an executive in the boardroom calling him a weirdo. It was us. Mm. But we're the victims of capitalism, but that's a bigger, <laughs> that's like a whole other thing. But, um, you know, I want to slide to another episode, you know, speaking about archetypes, you know, it's like, um, you, you dedicate a whole episode to women's sexuality and how that's just like positioned and marketed in the conversation around that um, in hip hop. And so much of it has to do with a male driven audience. Um, can you just tell me a little bit about like assembling that episode? It sounds like that was really one of the first ones you actually started to pursue. Back in 2020, um, during the pilot stage, uh, the, the format of the show is a little different at the time. It was like two 15 minute segments. And. Mm. So think about that time, right? Like that's, uh, so 2020, so Cardi's still very much Cardi. Meg is ascending to a different tier with Savage. And like, we're, we're just seeing like, and that was a few months after we threw an all-female Rap Caviar concert in Miami, right? Doja Cat, Meg, Sweetie, mm. Little Kim came out, Trina. So that's like before the Lotto as an emerging artist. So that's before the movement really exploded. Um, and we just felt like, there was a story to tell. Um, it, my take at the time was like, I don't think 
we've ever seen this many female rappers were paying like at at once. Mm-hmm. Like even in the golden age, right? We could probably list it out. Like there, there's just so many. There's literally a playlist that launched around that time called Feeling Myself that exclusively features women. I don't think it would have been possible at a different time. There weren't enough. We have um, a catalog playlist called Door Knockers that exclusively features women. And <laughs> the rotation is real short. It's, it's only mm-hmm. with a certain amount of names. So at the time we were more so wanting to explore why now? Why is it possible now? And and part of the context was, and 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 we kept some of it for this episode, like, well, streaming has democratized music consumption, right? Like gatekeeping doesn't mean the same thing. So fans of female artists now can just listen to it on demand. They don't have to wait for a radio station to play it, for a block to post it. They have Spotify. They could just listen to it. Um but I think we tried to tell too many stories in the pilot form. Like we were talking about that. We were talking about how women don't need a cosign anymore. It's almost like the story was too layered or we needed more time or like to tell that story. Cause like I said earlier, it was like a 15 minute segment. Um, so that evolved into what the city girls episode is now. Um, so for the pilot, we talked to, to Cardi, we talked to Sweetie, we talked to Meg, we talked to Doja Cat. But then because the format changed, we needed to center it around a, a main character. So we decided to choose City Girls because we felt like, I mean, they're so interesting. Culturally, the the influence they have on their generation crazy. is crazy. And I remember us being in Miami and huddling with the producer. And I was like, get into the mentality. Find out where they got it from. Like, like, <laughs> like we, we, need, we need to like know more about that. But also, like, when we were writing the voiceover, like, we were all, like, going back and forth. Chloe was part of it. And I was like, guys, City Girls literally is affecting dating. <laughs> like, literally. <laughs> like, like it, it's like the impact is immeasurable. So And social media, just, you know. But that was, that was essentially what, what went into it, starting with the pilot and then focusing on City Girls because we thought they were one of the more interesting acts of the moment. Also great that they're a duo, we don't see a lot of yeah. that anymore. We don't get a lot of groups anymore. So when you get that, it's 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 more exciting for me sometimes. A couple of things. Um, one, they're a duo who got hit with like, yo, a member went, got locked and came out and they still went up. Like that doesn't always happen. Number two, bro, every act you just named there, like since you said this is like what, 2019, 2020, everyone is further up. You could jump to the Rap Cavalier list in 2019 and look at some of the dudes that were there. And I don't know if all of them are still up. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know if they're still on the playlist. Like, I'm just saying. I, I don't know. Um, maybe, you know, time changes things. Jamila, your participation in the episode is substantial. I'm curious, watching it back, um, seeing all the other voices, you know, you're in there, Danielle's in there, um, Evia's in there. Um, what were you pulling from the episode? You know, I mean, I appreciated that it was just a really smart, thoughtful conversation about the incredible cultural impact of this group, you know, and I'm glad that they're being taken seriously because I think that that's something that doesn't always happen with hip hop and certainly not always something that happens with women artists, you know, that they're given serious consideration and thought of as being, you know, more than just the talent, but, you know, really taking into the full what they bring to the table and kind of how they've shifted things and just the amount of control they've had um, 
And it just touched on so many things, you know, like I think the one of the parts that really stood out to me was motherhood, you know, and this idea that once you have a baby, you're done for as a rapper. That's just not something that was really, you know, and we don't have any active rappers prior to Young Miami that have been mothers. You know, that's mm-hmm. something that either happens post-career, you know what I mean, or it doesn't happen. Um, and so, or, or it happens at a point where your star is not on the rise, you know, like it's not while you're on the main, yeah. you're not on everybody's radar when you become a mother. Kim and Foxy are mothers now, but that happened much later in their careers, you know, much later in their lives. Um, and that at a point where they were just starting to bubble over and JT is incarcerated, you know, that Carisha becomes pregnant and that, you know, it seems that I don't know what the private conversations were, but the insight that we had, you know, implies that she was supported, you know, that she was made to feel you can do this. You can be a mother and be a bad bitch, you know, and and make these records and you're going to be supported through that. I thought that was really important. Well, it's like also, you know, to do that and then to come out and then be like bigger and better is like a death sentence in the for all the stipulations and sort of like uh, rules that had previously existed with like no real proof, just like, hey, this is the rules. And then it's like, ah, no, not really. This isn't like, we're extra fine. Don't worry about it. Like we're doing good. But in the same episode, you find that everyone isn't really like, that's what I really loved about a lot of the episodes is that like, there's still a fair balance of voices. Like you're always going to get like an opinion that doesn't really go with necessarily the tide of the episode. Um, you get artists like a Snoop or someone who's in the show and he's like, no, this is how the things are. And like, you know, it deals a lot with like the idea of like what men think of women in in rap and versus like what women think in women in rap, you know? And I feel like that unfortunately like still very much parallels like what the culture feels like. You see this take place on, I mean, Twitter's a hellscape now, but it was it's always been a dumpster <laughs> fire. You see this take place on um, Twitter still where, you know, the commentary... You know, when she was pregnant, it was like, oh, one was locked up, one was pregnant. It was like, well, the, it's over. And that turned out not to be true, you know? Absolutely. Um, it, it was interesting. You know, I think of Snoop's criticism of women in rap often, and I find it so troubling. You know, one, because he's been given the space since he was 19 years old to express himself as he saw fit. And to use the bodies and the experiences of women in his music, you know, in his outside activities as a pimp, you know what I mean? For his own benefit and for his own gain, you know? And now that there's this larger group of women, because there were the salt and peppers and the MC lights, and I don't want to take away from what they did and what they meant, you know? But now that women are a little bit more unified around the idea of sexual autonomy in particular, you know, um, that that's so threatening to men. And I do want to push back on something you said earlier, Carl, the Me Too movement hasn't had an impact on hip hop and it hasn't. But I think that that's because women are really still not fully in the driver's seat yet. You know, because I think that if women had the amount of control that we should have, if there was something more resembling equality or equity, you know, in terms of how women's voices are amplified and supported, then there would be some reckoning with the sexual violence that has taken place backstage and some of the expectations that women rappers have had to deal with. You know, Lotto came out not very long ago and said there was a rapper who wouldn't do a feature Mm. for her unless she slept with him. 
you know, and we never found out who that person was. People speculated, but it was never, you know, the environment is still not there for her to come out and say, well, I'm going to name him because I'm this powerful chart topping rapper. I should be able to say who did this to me. And, you know, and for us to reckon with that as a culture. But the backlash that she would get for revealing that person, the loss of relationships that she might experience for talking about who that was, you know, that's still a threat to her. So there's still this level of control that that person had over her ultimately, even though she didn't sleep with him. So I think we've got a long way to go, you know, and that these women are pushing the needle. And I think conversations like the City Girls episode are so important so we can really, you know, look at where we are and see how far we've come, but we've got a long way to go. Well, I think one of the things that works about, um, I mean, that episode, almost all the episodes is that um, I'm an adult, so I understand it, but I was thinking about like, what is it for like a younger person? I understand it to as much as I can understand it. I'm a very flawed person, but I think about like, we've been socialized by music so much and by the culture so much that um, even a person in power may not think that that they can challenge something or, or still thinking about their personal associations as opposed to like a changing in culture or changing in tide or what is like uh, more morally substantive, right? And I think through each of the episodes, we show how much we are socialized by this music. And it's like sort of why it's the right time. I think, um, Jimmy, I think you said it, but for us to kind of like talk back to rap, like, hey, we're all a part of this thing. And this thing is clearly talking to us, affecting us, shaping our world, shaping the way that people outside of rap see us. And it's like, oh, we should kind of be looking under the hood. Like, why does this work this way? And like, who are the participants that are changing it or keeping it in place? Okay, so look, we've been talking a ton about the docuseries up until this point, but I want to give you guys just a quick preview. Check it out. My name is Pharrell Williams. I'm a musician, perpetual student. Music has been the skeleton key that's opened every door for me. I didn't have a father, I didn't have a big brother, I didn't have a cousin. So as a kid, since 10, 11, Pharrell's who I looked at. So through that, we just like developed like a friendship where like, you know, he would ask me advice on certain things. And Tyler is talking about where he was and feeling low. He wants that respect. One of the subjects that pop up with Polo G is um, sort of about generational trauma. Um, and I think one thing that really stood out to me was you rarely see Polo G talk, period. Like, it's hard to find a Polo G interview. Um, there aren't even a ton of, like, written pieces about Polo G. Andrew, I think you were saying it off camera that, you know, he sort of rose in his position very quickly. And also, like, the media landscape, it changed everything. It changed what, what it would take for you to reach that level of sort of prominence today is there aren't some rungs you have to pass through. So I was like, seeing him speak was one surprising. Seeing what he chose to discuss was even more surprising. But then seeing the involvement of like his community, specifically his father, like that episode is like sat with me um, out of like all of the ones that I've seen. Um, Carl, I just wanted to like tell me about like assembling that episode and why you chose Polo G and also what you had to do to get him to talk on camera. Um, that one was much more straightforward. I, I think the the first half, like it's almost all of like it's almost like all like me or 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 calm like coming up with the ideas and workshopping them um but that one i believe came from um the the brainstorm sessions we had with the journalists and we were all aware that polo g had that um that uh that overdose that that experience and we mm-hmm. and we knew that mental health was something that he was that we we thought he would be willing to discuss um in terms of him opening up, 
I got to give all the credit to the director, Mandon. Um, we would come up with ideas and basically just hand them off to the director. And then they would have to like come up with like a specific point of view around what we gave them. And Mandon did a phenomenal job. Like they would have to take the topic and then present it back to Hulu. And, and that was the most flawless pitch of the series. I remember really? all of us, th- th- really? there's usually always like comments back and questions and people poking holes in theories. And all of us were on the call like, quiet, nothing to say. This guy knows exactly what he's doing. Mm. Um, but it looks like him and Polo got along very quickly. And um, that episode and also the Roddy Rich episode are two instances where I saw a different side of artists I'm familiar with or I've met before. Because mm. Roddy also seemed to have um, a, a great rapport with Marcus, who directed his episode. Mm. But I, I can't get too deep into the making of Polo because Mandon, I, I gotta get, I gotta hand it to him. He just he <laughs> he understood what the story was, um, put his spin on it, built a great rapport with Polo, did a phenomenal job throughout. I really enjoyed that it was just much wider than like, um, you know, it could have been an episode about like, okay, here's violence or, you know, um, here's, uh, you know, drug use or drug abuse, right? But it's like to find it, um, the umbrella and look at it as like, hey, it's not like, um, sure, you can be participatory in that and still be a victim, you know, and still be like, you know, a casualty to um, like these circumstances. And for me, like he just caught me completely off guard. Andrew, you know, you being a part of the Chicago scene and being very familiar with these rappers also, you know, we don't hear a ton from Polo. What were your take like watching this episode? I was surprised. I learned a lot about Polo that I did not know. And, you know, having been on the front line of the Chicago scene over the past 15, 18 years or whatever, um, you know, I've, I've watched the rise of people like Lupe Fiasco and the Cool Kids to Chief Keef and Chance the Rapper and a lot of different artists. And I've, I've known all of them personally. Never met Polo G. This was like the most that I've learned about him in this episode. I didn't realize like how deep it went, you know, just drug use, um, you know, mental health issues. Um, so it was, I think Manda did a great job getting him to open up um, and, and, and show that side of him. Cause I think, um, you know, a lot of times um, when you, you know, you're working closely in a certain scene, you know, you watch an artist go from, one to 10, one to 20, one to a hundred, like they, they build it, you know, they build it via steps. He didn't necessarily have that. He got popular so fast that he kind of jumped over all that. So not only is he dealing with, you know, everything that he had growing up and, and, and trauma from, you know, his childhood or whatever, he now has a whole other thing to deal with in the industry. So now he goes the whiplash of stardom, you know, right. And unknown to this guy is one of the most famous rappers on the planet. So I think it was cool to kind of see the duality in that and how he's been able to balance the two and, you know, still go home and, and, and get love from everybody and, and, and be celebrated there because he is like the first um, major rapper to come out of like that area where he's from in Chicago. When you look at the larger area of Chicago, um, what does his commentary and sort of like the uh, the value of that episode mean? Um, you know, because he just opened up and was so personal and was just, you know, and he attributed, I thought was really, um, what was really ill was that I felt like he was attributing um, his thoughts to the right sources, right? Like he was like, yo, this is trauma. And he like was one completely educated on his standpoint. But, you know, it's like CNG Herbo, right? Like someone I think mm-hmm. we watched over the last like decade plus, like joined in on that conversation. 
um, and have like a really sort of like a heartfelt take on their circumstances and the circumstances of their community, that I'm not going to say it's new because it's not. But I think doing that on this platform is important. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's not just in, I think Jamila can talk about this too. She's from Chicago as well. Like she has, uh, a, you know, an understanding of how kind of Chicago's painted uh, in the larger media as a whole. Like I think a lot of people just think it's violence all the time and there's all that, you know, that that's all that Chicago has to offer. Because a lot of times those seem to be the, while that is, you know, obviously a thing, that seems to be like the main headline in a lot of the dialogue here. And it's not just a thing. There's a lot more that these kids and these artists from here have to offer. So um, I think it's important to tell the story, but, but, but from the standpoint that he did. So I think he did a really incredible job doing it that way. Yeah, I think that um, that was definitely a very powerful episode. You know, hip hop has danced with depression over the years. I think about the Ghetto Boys and Scarface, you know, talking about those things. But it hasn't really been to the level at which people that are participating in the culture are experiencing depression. You know, they're experiencing Mm. PTSD. They're experiencing trauma and the music that they make reflects these experiences without naming the thing, right? Without talking about the fact that you need to attend to your mental health, that you need to take care of yourself. And so I think that Polo G opening up about his own experiences and admitting to being bipolar, you know, could go a long way for other young people that are struggling, you know, with the things that they've seen, that they've experienced death and violence from early, you know, from early ages, from people that were close to them. He talks about seeing his uncle in the casket, you know, and the impact that it made on him. And, you know, when you've got generations of kids that are going to funeral after funeral after funeral, the impact on them, you know, is going to be obviously tremendous. And it's something that news stories, you know, that are not focused on hip or created by the same hands that make hip hop culture. They're talking about it. You know, they're talking about the depravity. They're talking about people being willing to harm, you know, other black people, but they're not really talking about the pain that these young folks are living with. Um, and I think giving name to that pain is important. Knowing that we don't have too much time left, I'm curious for you all, you know, having seen the episodes you've seen, whether it's your own or the other episodes, um, what stands out? What's the most enjoyable? What caught your attention? What surprised you? I'm really excited for people to see this. I feel like as a person in media, I'm constantly begging for more premium um, content, more premium storytelling. You know, it's like the world's been flattened to 180 characters. Uh, If you can even tolerate that corner of the internet anymore. And I think um, getting a chance to watch, um, this feels to me like, you know, these feel like really great, like magazine features turned into film, you know? So I'm curious for you all. um, Yeah, what did you love the most in, in the stuff that you saw? The Polo G episode definitely stands out for me, you know, Mm. as somebody who's battled anxiety and depression for years myself, anytime we're having open conversations in public, particularly with celebrities and noteworthy people, you know, talking about their own experiences with mental health. I think that's just so important. Um, And I really loved, you know, just the variety of voices in the City Girls conversation. I liked that their peers in the industry were present and, you know, talked about their own experiences um, as well. Those two really stood out for me. I think one of the overriding themes of every episode or, or a bulk of them is the effects that, are, like, that social media has on these artists and how they are viewing the tweets and the Instagram comments 
Because I think for like a long time, at least in the early social media or blog era, a lot of people wouldn't read the comments or pay attention to that stuff. Like I think the artists would kind of be like, or at least if they were, they may not come out and say that they were, you know, vanity searching themselves on Twitter to see what other people were saying about them. But now I feel like it's so prevalent that these people can't escape it. And episode after episode, I noticed that like tweets were being flashed on the, you know, across the screen. And it has obviously had a very detrimental effect to a lot of these different people that were featured in the episodes. And how do they deal with that? Like, it would be so difficult to deal with that all the time, like the harassment, especially in the Roddy Rich episode, because, you know, this is a young artist who, you know, comes out of the gate, has some success, and then everything he drops from there on out, everybody just seems to be attacking him and saying it's not good or not good enough. So that was also a recurring thing and some other thing, you know, with the Coyle Ray episode as well, with body shaming um, and, and whatnot. So I feel like we need to rethink a lot of social media. I think this is not like a new um, idea or anything like that, but I think it's having a bad effect on how artists are able to like digest, you know, these, this commentary that they're getting. And I think it's really affecting the music um, and maybe some of, some of the ways that they create. That actual effect in the film where like all the tweets are popping up. I don't know if this happens to you all. I have this thing where like um, if I'm watching a film and someone like is underwater, you know, and like they're trying to get to the surface, I find myself holding my breath. You know, it's like that weird thing where you're like watching it a part of the like you're that you're that involved in it. When the tweets popped up on screen and they got to the point where they blocked out the actual person on screen, you feel that like overwhelming effect. And I definitely felt it with Corey. I felt it um, with the City Girls like specifically just because mm-hmm. they're talking, you just feel the voices popping up and you hear it And it's like, it had that same effect of almost like being underwater and trying to, trying to get to the surface. I might be too deep about shit, but like that's. <laughs> no, I'm with you I, on that. I'm I like, it, it was it, like know? giving me anxiety seeing that. I'm like, my God, I would hate to open up my phone. And that's all I see is just getting attacked for, you know, making music. And I think it, it need people need to rethink how they talk to people online and how they, you know, treat the artists. I mean, I granted, we know that when you step out there and become an artist or a famous person or a person of, you know, noteworthy, uh, um, you know, whatever, like you have to, you, you're, you're like signing yourself up to be criticized. But mm. I think there's a constructive way to do that as opposed to just attacking these people, which that seems like it's going to have an effect on how you create, period. Yeah. Carl, what about you? I'm obviously biased, but... Um I like that every character goes through an arc in their story. Um, one of the most important things for me when I was making the show was, I mean, it can't be a puff piece, right? Coming from like a journalism background, I'm like, man, I, I, we, we can't just have this be a glorified puff, puff piece for everybody. And um, it's funny, in some ways, everything I do is to like impress like-minded people, right? Like, I, I feel like I'm mean? constantly playing defense in a way, right? I, I, I think about how I would dissect things, right? That's how I came up with a lot of my notes, right? Just fun fact, uh, that soundbite where Jamila is saying that women aspire to, uh, to, to be mob wives, right? And it cuts to like Foxy and this person and that person. And in a certain cut, I remember they show the get money video and I'm like, wait, that's not little Kim. That's Charlie Baltimore. Like, I'm just like, like, just like the little details like that. It's like, but, um, as I was making the show, 
I'll be I'll be honest. I, I maybe wasn't thinking of you guys specifically, but I was thinking of what you represent. And for me, it was important for people like you guys to be able to watch the show and like it. To me, that's the barometer. Mm. If Jamila likes it, if Jinx mm-hmm. likes it, if Barbara likes it. <laughs> No, I'm serious. We Props really have something. Props is a something. true thug's wife. You know, it, right? you know. Like, <laughs> like we, we really have something. So when you text me, Jinx, he was like, man, you guys snapped. I was like, yes. <laughs> like, yes. Or like when Barbara hit me and was like, man, I love it. This is fantastic. It's like, oh, well. It's, That's it's what I was a, doing it for. <laughs> but it's exactly, it's a similar reaction I had when Tyler said he loved it. Then I, I was almost like, man, fuck everybody else then. Like, if, if Tyler right. likes it, then, <laughs> like, I don't care what, like, I don't care what anybody else has to say. Um, So, yeah, like, th- to be able to make a show that didn't feel like it was a puff piece, especially when I'm finding out more and more that's a conversation in a doc space. Like, they, people don't respect documentaries that, have the subject as the um, create um, the, the executive producer because they're not going to go there. Um, mm. Yeah, that's and that's a lot of things. People won't do the documentaries unless they are involved in it, and then it takes all the you know the there's no pushback on anything. So I think that's what was really good about this, and you're also the ability to take the story in another direction. Like yeah. I said, I thought the the Coyle Ray piece could just be about her dad being Benzino or whatever, but like it, it went another direction. So I, I appreciated that because I like to be surprised. And I think a lot of the storytelling gets stale and it's all the same. This is, was not that. Clover Holt said something interesting to me um, when we were making the show and she was like, uh, I usually know almost everything in a documentary. For me, it's more about the way it was, it's framed. But mm. the more I talk to people, the more people are telling me they're learning something about the artist. And that's also important. Yeah. Um, like, I didn't know that Tyler, I noticed the shift in Tyler, but I never thought about why it happened. So that story about him being recognized as the guy from ridiculousness and that being the thing that made him think, oh, I'm not known for my music. I was like, oh shit. I don't know if Tyler's spoken about this before. This is great. It's revealing. Yeah. The house music, the house music the house line, music. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. messed me up. I was like, okay, all right. Jimmy Iovine is very good at very simple quotes that make you go, <laughs> oh, shit. Very good at it. I already said it before I let you go, but the media person to me is just like, I don't know how you got everyone to say yes, you know? Like, that's always, like, a thing. Like, just getting faces on a on a set and getting them to talk. Um, the, the voices that you picked are... I mean, everyone is like someone that's like, I've looked at their work and was like, damn, I wish I did the work that they did. You know, it's like that, that healthy, like, um, I don't want to call it journalist envy, but you're just like people that you love and people that you respect. Um, and I think the audience member in me is just like, it's corny, but it's like, there's like a, there's an air of morality that comes out of the episodes of like, hey, because it's, again, it's about how it's, we sh- we're socialized by this music. And there's sort of like, it's not like so surprised that there's a Tyler, so surprised there's City Girls, or so surprised it's Roddy Rich. It's like, hey, how are we treating them? And then as a result, how are we thinking about ourselves? And that to me is like, that's what I pulled from all of them. That to me is the thread. And if that's the thread, like that's like a, um, in the rap sort of food groups, this is like a necessary food group. You know what I mean? Like you need that piece to, like Jamila said, we have to like talk back to ourselves, you know? I have to shout out the artists, right? Because we, we outlined what we were, wanted to do and like mm-hmm. the storylines we wanted to cover and they they all agreed to it. And I'll be honest, 
throughout, there were some calls behind the scenes, like just making sure that we were on the right path, voicing concerns. But ultimately, like, it worked out. Like, we were able to, like, again, make stories with an arc that I'm hoping no one calls a puff beef. But Andrew already did. He said no. So we're going to go with Andrew. Yeah, yeah. We're going to roll with that. Yeah. Guys, that's it. That's it for this week's episode of the Rap Caviar Podcast. I appreciate you all. I mean, pull, I mean, you guys are like pulling up. Like I showed up here. We all, we all at the crib. But thank you guys for <laughs> for spending some time. We got to get uh, Andrew and Jamila. We got to get you in the studio, Carl. I'm gonna see you like Next tomorrow. Week. So yeah, it'll be totally fine. But thank you guys for pulling up. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the Rap Caviar Podcast. Make sure you follow and hit the bell to stay up to date on each episode. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs> <laughs>